Now, in 1820, in western New York, a 15-year-old boy had a dream in which he saw two heavenly persons, or at least beings that resembled persons, whom he later described as God the Father and Jesus Christ. And then, three years later, he had another vision in which an angel directed him to a long-lost book of golden plates inscribed with the Judeo-Christian history of an ancient American civilization. In 1830, when he was 24 years old, this young man, Joseph Smith, published what he claimed was an English translation of these plates titled, The Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith was not the first and he will not be the last individual to claim to have revelation from God that opens a doorway to heaven that gets us through them pearly gates by some means other than Christ alone. He's not the first and will not be the last to claim to have a book or writings or teachings that have higher authority than the Christian Bible. For Joseph Smith, it was a dream about a book with golden plates as pages. For others, it is revelation from a different heavenly-looking being. For some, it is revelation from science. Some put their faith, their hope in tradition. But for all, there is the pursuit of truth. This week, we continue our series on the five solas. Last week, we looked at how Christ alone is the one who saves us. Christ alone is the rescuer that we need. Christ alone is the one who can free us from the prison of sin that we have made ourselves comfortable in. Today we will look forward or look, look, be looking at the fourth in the line of solas, that all of this, all of what we believe is according to Scripture alone. This statement means that there are no other books, no other writings that possess truth or that hold authority over the Bible. The scripture is the ultimate truth that everything else must be compared against and that through the pages of God's word, our God speaks to us. There's a saying, you want to hear the voice of God? Read the Bible. Our statement of faith says the Bible, including both the Old and New Testament, as originally given, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, free from error, and is the final and authoritative guide for faith Doctrine and life. And the basis for this statement is our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. Would you read the word of the Lord with me? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the other day, our, uh, our house was relatively quiet in the afternoon, which is a bit of a miracle unto its own. The kids were all uh, done their, their school Zoom meetings, and Karen and I were on the couch while the boys were playing with their Legos downstairs. Now, one of our young men came upstairs asking if they could get on screen. Well, before the boys can get on screen in our house, there are certain things that they need to do. They need to have read their books for a certain amount of time. They need to have practiced their piano. 
and they need to make sure that all of their homework is done. Everyone like, has their way of bribing their children to do what they want them to do, and screen time is ours. And so we ask this wonderful son of ours if everyone has taken care of all of these requirements. And if they had, then they can all get on screen. Upon hearing this, his face lights up and he runs down the stairs yelling to his brothers that screen time is a go. And Karen and I look at each other in bewilderment. We know for a fact that all of the requirements have not been met by each of the brothers. And we know that this one in particular who made the announcement, hasn't touched the piano today. It's like all he heard was, you can get on screen. I was told as a child that I had selective hearing, and apparently that's genetic, because my children have it too. There are times that we are very good at approaching Scripture with selective hearing. We read what we want to read, and we discard what we do not want to believe. There are things that are hard to grasp about the Bible. There are stories of of mass destruction. And we struggle to understand how a God of love could not just allow, but in some cases instigate, such horrible things to happen. As we work through Scripture, it can be hard to reconcile how a God who claims to love everyone, that all of mankind is created in his image, that all people have worth, could, could treat the people of Israel one way and then the Gentiles another. Added to that, we struggle with the concepts that we don't have the ability to grasp. Like, how can the Trinity be a thing? Like, how, how is that a thing? Three persons, separate, yet the same, yet submitting to like each other, so that, yet still one God? Like, how does... How does all that even work? Did the translators get something wrong somewhere? How do we make sense of some of this stuff? How do we wrap our minds around people coming back from the dead, sickness being miraculously healed, demons being cast out? You know, people, uh, waters, waters being split, rivers being stopped, the earth like splitting and, and swallowing people, a, a dude getting swallowed by a huge fish, hanging out there for like three days and then getting spit up on land, a, a, a night with a lion's, like, like a huge flood, a boy taking down a giant, a superhero who becomes mortal when you cut his hair. Like, wh- okay. We got, we got hands writing on walls. We got prophecy like there's no tomorrow about how tomorrow is going to be terrible. Plagues, death, and then, of course, who could forget about a virgin giving birth? Dr. William Evans, who pastored College Church from 1906 to 1909, was an unusually accomplished man. He had the entire King James Version of the Bible memorized, as well as the New Testament of the American Standard Version. One day, Dr. Evans was preaching, and the subject of his sermon was the virgin birth. All in the congregation were amazed when he raised his New Testament Bible and he tore out the pages that narrate the birth of the Lord. As the tattered scraps floated down towards the congregation, he shouted, you know, if we can't believe in the virgin birth, let's just tear it out of the Bible. And then as he drove his point home, he tore out the resurrection chapters, then the miracle narratives, Then anything conveying the supernatural, and the floor was soon littered with mutilated pages. Finally, he held up the remaining portion and said, and this is all we have left. The Sermon on the Mount. And that has no authority to drive me if a divine Christ didn't preach it. There are so many unbelievable things that take place 
in a book that we hold as the ultimate authority for faith, doctrine, and life, the ultimate purveyor of truth. Half of those stories are too crazy for the National Enquirer. How could we actually think that they might be true? And as we rest in the reality that many of the stories of the Bible flirt with theological and border on the insane, it is understandable why so many in our society, so many in our culture, laugh at the idea of it holding any semblance of truth. And it doesn't take long for the influence of those outside the church to begin to take hold on those inside the church. We see it in a few denominations and more than a few churches today. There are passages in the Bible that are offensive. There are passages about conduct and addiction and sex and morality that do not line up with what is accepted in society today. And for some of us, the response has not been to stand firm in the word, but to conform to society. I have a secular friend on social media that I interact with occasionally, and one of his favorite things to throw in my face is that Jesus was pro-sexual revolution because he didn't speak against it. It's just that bigot Paul who had some choice and ignorant words about what people should be allowed to do between the sheets and who they should be doing it with. And while I categorically deny this assertion, it is basically impossible to argue with someone when you have two very different understandings of truth. And yet, though arguably, not to the degree that some take it, do I not, in my sinful nature, twist things so that I can get my way? Are there not times when there are things that I want to do that I know I'm not supposed to do, but man, I kind of really want to do it. And it's like I'm Eve in the garden and my old nature and Satan are whispering to me saying, did God really say? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that thing that sounds so fun, so enjoyable, that looks like it will bring you happiness or, or power or, or freedom or hey, maybe even salvation? Did God really say? Will this little sin be that big a deal? Do we twist the meaning in the words of Scripture at times in periods of weakness to fit what we want it to fit and to say what we want it to say? How are you doing with that? Have you made excuses, downplayed your sin, or willingly abused grace so that you could remove the guilt of that particular sin that you have gotten so comfortable with? We're so broken, aren't we? So good at twisting what is true, contaminating what is pure, so that it fits the narrative that we prefer, the lies that we desire to be true. And yet, though our lies contaminate our minds, they do not contaminate the Word of God. For the Word of God is truth. Though the scriptures can be misused, misquoted, taken out of context, and twisted to be understood in ways that they are not intended to, those manipulations of man do not damage the truth of the word when it is read and understood as God intends us to read it and understand it. Though we may try to twist and break the word of God, God's word is not corruptible. It is truth. It is, as Paul writes to his young friend Timothy, God breathed. 
It is not the ideas of man, but the will of God written down with ink and paper. It is the love of God expressed in ways that we can grasp with our limited minds. It is the promises of God laid bare. It is the story of an all-powerful creator and the lengths that he goes to in order to be reunited with the subject of his love, the ones that failed him, that couldn't love him back in the way that he loves them, that twisted his words and broke his laws. But his love for them was greater than any twisting or breaking, and so he overcame all of the obstacles that, we, that he might have relationship with them, with us, once again. We may look at the crazy and unimaginable stories of the Bible, the concepts that we cannot grasp, the miracles that we cannot explain, and the truths that have yet to be revealed to us, and we may be overwhelmed and struggle to believe that they are true. And yet we can look around at the unbelievable wonders that are showcased in the world around us and know that the one who authored the amazing in Scripture is the one who authored the fantastic in the creation we see, feel, hear, smell, and touch. Though we strain and strive to deny it, and though our sinful nature and the father of lies feeds us doubt and uncertainty, creation itself demands the reality of a creator. The complexity, the beauty, the intricacy of how our world works together is too delicate and too intentional to have been anything but purposeful. Ducks flying south, salmon finding the river they were born in after exploring the vastness of the sea. Planets that orbit perfectly, a moon that that gives us waves, the intense complexity of of an atom The changing of the weather, the stars hung intentionally in the sky, a sun that is ever burning but is not burnt out, the food chains of different continents, the restoration of fire, photosynthesis, the northern lights, the depths of the unexplored sea, the complexity of biology, the fantastic realities of science, the body of a mother able to conceive, carry, and give birth to a child and then have the necessary means to care for that child until they are able to care for themselves. The art of the Creator is all around us. Though we may have gotten so used to wandering His galleries, we have stopped recognizing His signature. The God with the power to bring all of the wonderful things of nature into being is the power to make all of the fantastic stories of Scripture a reality. The Bible is true. The stories are real. What we read about in Scripture actually happened. Every story and every word is there intentionally. For as much as God wants us to know the stories, He wants us to remember the promises. The promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, as Julia read in Deuteronomy 31. The promise in John 3.16 that he loves us. No qualifications on that love. No bar that we have to meet to be able to earn it. It is just given to us and given to us so fully that Jesus came and died for us that we might believe in him and live forever in heaven with creator and savior. In 1 John, we are promised that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us. These are huge promises. But God made them because he knew that we need them. We need it to be God that would keep the promises, not us. We're we're promise breakers, man. He is the keeper. 
He created us. He, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us intimately, and he knows that we are not capable of the perfection that he demands. And he knows... Sorry. And so in response to our twisting of his words, in response to the lies that we tell ourselves, in response to the lies that we listen to, in response to all the failings that we have accomplished, in response to all of the hurt that we have done to God through our sin and our rebellion, he sent us Jesus. He sent his unblemished word. He sent his son. And Jesus lived a perfect life here on earth. Not once did he stumble, not once did he give in to the temptations that surrounded him. Not once did he listen to the lies of the accuser. Where we continually falter, Jesus was constant, unshakable, moving ever forward in his trajectory, took him straight to the cross. And as he went up that hill, he carried not just the cross, but the sins of the world, your sin, my sin. And there on that cross he died, and in his death he paid the price for every time that we failed. In his death he paid the price for the sin that has left his world, his wonderful and fantastic creation, broken. But he did not stay dead. Three days later he rose from the dead, and in so doing he conquered sin and death, and he laid the foundation for healing. So that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we rest in the faith that he has given us, we are no longer dressed in the dirty rags of our sin. No, those have been taken from us. Instead, we are dressed in the perfect robes of Christ's righteousness. So through faith in Christ and Christ alone, we are reconciled with the Father, the Creator, the architect of our world and our salvation. So great is God's love for us that he sent his son to die in our place that he might have relationship with us. These are the promises that we have in scripture. These are the truths that are laid bare on every page. And it's only through believing in these truths that we can be saved. For salvation is found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. According to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. I don't care if the pages of some book you found buried were coated in diamond. They would not be worth more than the promises we have in Scripture. The lies we tell ourselves and the edits we attempt to make to God's Word will one day all be burned up like chaff and blown away, revealed for the worthless deceptions they are. But the Word of God remains forever. The promises of God stand for his words to us are the ultimate, the final authority for faith, doctrine, and life. How thankful I am that I can rest in the promises of the one who does not break his word. How thankful I am that the promises of God, his promise to love me, to forgive me, to bring me home to heaven one day are based in his ability and not mine. Friends, church, let us rest in the promises. Let us rest in the truth of Scripture alone. What a fantastic and wonderful and loving God we serve. Amen.